This morning, we want to continue just to encourage us from the Word of God, and we're talking about community. We're talking about community, and why is this a useful reminder during this time? It's because of the recent events and, and, and what we have gone through uh, just globally, right, the pandemic. And there's a, there's a lot uh, that has been disrupted uh, by the pandemic. There are industries that have been uh, disrupted. There are things that used to be normal. Like I see pictures of myself and videos at a concert and it looks wild. I was like, what were we doing? We're always seconds away from disaster, right? It's like in the middle of a concert. Uh, many, many things, many companies, many industries that have been disrupted. But one of the temptations uh, or one of the imaginations that are there or the thinking that people have is that even the church has been disrupted. So there are people who come and they really have fancy con convincing conclusions that the church is one of those things that's not become necessary anymore. It's been disrupted. God has not seen this coming, right? Uh, there are people who have lost the habit to come to church. There are people who genuinely are unable to come to church for very legitimate reasons. There are people who have just lost their habit, right? Uh, stuff. I struggled with the habit after being, you know, um, just home for, for some time and being online. But there are people who tell me, like, TC, either... Two, they have moved into this like post, I'm calling it post-church Christianity. <laughs> it's like they're doing this Christianity that is outside of the church, where I'm still a Christian, but I don't have to be in community as a Christian. That has been disrupted. It's not necessary anymore. And the people who have an actual uh, theological orientation around that position that, no, I don't think, uh, for them, it's prophetic, you know, and we, we've seen the challenges with the prophetic ministries in the, in the last few months, where it's like, this is the prophecy. Uh, God has said, you know, Christian community as it's been, it's been disrupted, right? God is doing a new thing altogether. Like, God is rebranding Christianity altogether. He has disbanded this thing. It's not been working and here's a new and updated version, and people have different versions to it, right? But my point this morning is, how do we do community? How do we do one anothering? I don't think there's an English word called anothering. <laughs> but it is because there's so many instances in the Bible where the Bible talks about one another, one another, one another. And which is what the leadership of this church believes in, in the body life, in the priesthood of all believers. That all of us, when we gather together, when we gather in prayer, gather in worship, gather to connect with God, gather to pray, or gather to connect with each other, the Bible commands us, it is at least there are 59 to 100 instances in the New Testament where the Bible is commanding, do this to one another. And we're going to see them. And I'm going to show you the four, at least, categories that all the one another's in the Bible fall into. But I want to remind us of just one another in an era of isolation, where we are isolated from loved ones, from people, where we are antsy about, you know, being around people. 
We're in a time of fear and a time of judgment. That's the moment, that's the cultural moment that we're in. But it's not brand new. Even when the Bible was being written, there was still isolation. It might, not, it might have been different from the one that we're facing today. There's still fear. There's still judgment, right? There's still judgment. People who have seen in the, in the last one year uh, what's happened globally in terms of the racial tensions, the judgment that, that's, that's there, uh, how, how polarized the world has been, even around the pandemic itself, even around should we wear a mask, should we not wear a mask. There are people who choose to attend a church that doesn't wear masks at all. Or there are people like, you guys don't wear masks, this is your position on masks. So, so there's so much judgment. But how do we still do community, even though we differ on many different things? What, what is that radical middle that the scriptures provide for us to be able to still do community? But now what is happening is that People are doing what I'm calling one. People are doing weak community. Wait, it's very weak. There's no price to pay in how we're doing community now. All right? David Brooks, who's one of my favorite, uh, this is the second time I think I'm quoting him in two, in two months. Uh, one of my favorite columnists from the New York Times, right? He talks about the golden era of bailing out on commitments, right? And this is what he says. He says, people feel free to bail on close friends because they'll understand. He <laughs> says, we, we live in a culture where we, we easily bail out out of any commitment we have to a, or, or commitment to either a social fixture or to a community that is connecting rituals. And he says, we, we feel free, uh, people feel free to bail on close friends. They'll understand. And on distance friends because they don't matter so much. But they're less inclined to bail on uh, medium-tier, fragile friends. Then there's professional bailing out. This tends to have a hierarchical structure. A high-status person will frequently bail on a lower-status colleague. But if an intern bails on a senior executive, it is a sign of serious disrespect. Finally, there's the networker who's a flake. And in the information age, the highly ambitious are masters of just being acquaintances with people. They make countless contacts with people, but they never actually connect, right? There's a way, I mean, in Nairobi, one of the famous proverbs in Nairobi is, we should do coffee sometime. <laughs> like, we should, we should do drink. Tea, actually, not coffee. Tea. Hey, we should, do, we should, we should get together, right? It's like a cheap way of doing community. But there's also a customized way of doing community. Where people want to do community on their own terms, uh, at their own preferences, with the way they want, with who they want to have community with. It's almost like that's how the world has gone, right? It's like music. We don't buy, you don't buy a whole album anymore. You go and you're like, I want this specific song. Even with watching news, you go to a YouTube channel, now they tell you at 6 minutes, 45 seconds. It's going to tell you how the impeachment conversation went. <laughs> or at 4 minutes, 58 seconds, it will tell you how Leicester and Liverpool did yesterday. <laughs> right? We select what we want to watch. And unfortunately, that has crept into how we do community as well. 
right? Where we're like, this is who I want to do community with, and this is who it should be, it should be for. And then there's fake community, which obviously has been exacerbated by, by social media, where we have, you know, I, I thought about it. I, I, I thought about how growing up, I almost knew, remembered everyone's birthday. How many, how many were like me? Like you knew your, your family's birthdays and your, your first cousins, at least, and some of your friends. But right now, without Facebook, it's, it's become like an external memory, right? <laughs> but we know that we are in a time where we are more connected than ever, but more isolated in actual, in real life. So social media is great. Thanks for what it brings and the connectivity it brings. But it's not a substitute, and it can never replace actual community. Because sometimes we think we know what people are doing, because right now, People post everything. <laughs> I woke up like this. This is what I had for breakfast. And you think you know what is happening in the person's life. But God created us for community. When God, in Genesis chapter 1, when he created everything, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. It's only one thing that he called bad. When he said, it is not good for men to be alone. That's the only thing that God stopped and said, at this point, this is not good. Everything else I've created is good. But this context of existing by yourself, so it is not good for men to be alone. It's not talking about marriage. Because you and I know people who shouldn't be married. Right? We know people like that. Like, yo, bruh. He's talking about existing in community. He's like, it's not good for anyone to exist by themselves. And you over, I overstate this, right? That salvation, when you say, I'm born again, or I've put my faith in Christ Jesus, you have put your faith, salvation it's not just Jesus alone. I'm always, maybe you're tired of this example, like Jesus is not like a KFC meal or a McDonald's meal. That you say, I just want this. Give me the chicken. Don't put the salad. Or don't give me chips. Give me steamed veggies, right? I want the help. I'm customizing for what I want, right? Let I say, I want Jesus, but I don't want his mission and I don't want his community. And we'll see in a bit that the New Testament has no context for a Christian who's not in community. So there's actually a question that, that are you a Christian if you're not in community? God created us. I think it's in life together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we are lonely not because there's something wrong with us. We are lonely because there's something right with us. We're not lonely because there's something wrong with you. You're actually lonely because there's something right with you. God created you to exist in community. And this is another thing that he says in the book. It's called Life Together. He says, sin demands to have a man alone. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a man is, the more destructive sin is. So the enemy does, wants to isolate us. I thought about it this week. I was shattered by the report for Ravi uh, that came out. How many read that report? For, 
How many were heartbroken like, like me? I, I had an ice pack on my head for half the day, right? Of course, I'm aware of how sinful and depraved we are as human beings, but it's almost like I'm not aware of how profound and pervasive sin is. It's almost like it's a bottomless pit that I keep discovering. But the more I read, the more I realized there's, no, there's just no accountability no personal, there's no individual community in his life that's holding him accountable. And that's what the enemy does. But here are four categories that the different one another's in the Bible that we're encouraged to do, that do this for one another. These, these are the different categories they fall in. The first category that the one another's fall under are the love one anothering. The love one anothering. There are the scriptures as love one another. You find it in John, and we're going to sit a bit on John chapter 13, verse 34. Uh, love one another. Through love, serve one another. Right? That's Galatians 5, verse 13. Tolerate one another in love. And I don't mean this wokeness, this tolerance, like, oh, you're intolerant. That's not what I'm talking about for moral permissiveness, Right? No, it's like persevere, endure with one another, persevere. I don't think there's anything that's been necessary more than being able to tolerate one another. It says, greet one another with a kiss of love. So here, it's not talking about the, what's being captured here. It's not the actual kissing, right? It's like treat each other with endearment. Kissing is not the object that... The people who take it literally, you know, uh, and their culture, it's just like, it's an expression of affection. So whatever is culturally appropriate, the love of God and the one anothering should be visible. It just can't be a cold place where we just wave, you, you know, you just raise your eyebrows, you, you, you're, not, you're not visibly, there's no physical manifestation and expression of this love. It just can't be that cold. I remember when I was talking about uh, John chapter 316, that the Bible didn't say God so loved the world. It says, for God so loved the world that Christian loving one another should be punctuated by, by affection, by smiles, by you know, we, we can't just, you know how you walk past each other in a supermarket with that, I know you, we go to the same church, but I don't know your name. I can't, I can't remember who you are. You know, as Christians, we have to something like, listen, we've been going to the same church for five years. I don't know who you are. How are you? How are you doing? How, how are things going? So that's what he's it's, it's saying is that greet one another. Even the atmosphere in which you exist in needs to be warm, needs to be affectionate, Right? And it says, be devoted to one another in love. Go to the next, next slide. John chapter 13, it talks about a new commandment I give to you is love one another. Listen, this is not, it's not saying a new suggestion or a new idea or a new possibility or a new life option. It's like, Here's an alternative. Here's a way you could do things. No, he's saying, here's a new commandment. We're under authority. We are compelled 
to love. Right? That's what God is saying. It's like, listen, wait. This thing is not optional. This thing is not down to, oh, you know, uh, God knows I'm an introvert. <laughs> I don't express, I just, or I don't like, no. It's just like, this is a commandment. But here's the other thing. Is this really new? Isn't this said in the Bible that you should love your neighbor in the Old Testament? It's not new that way, but what does it mean when it says, when Jesus is saying this is new? Because it's, it's not spanking you. It had been said before that you should love your neighbor. Is that Leviticus or Exodus? It says you should love your neighbor, right? But what makes it new when Jesus is saying it, right? You're saying new, one, because of, of course the immediate people who were there were not doing it. It was new to the Jews in that, in that particular, in the context, in the immediate context of the scripture. Because there was animosity, there was bitterness, there was jealousy, there was rivalry, there was faction. And it almost feels like this cultural moment. If we say it right now to say love one another, it's new. Imagine standing up and say, guys, love one another. That's new and fresh. Number two, they were not exhibiting it, right? They were arguing, and even previously, they were arguing, like, who, sh who will sit on your right hand? Who will sit on your left hand? There was power play, right? But lastly, new is, here could be saying, you now have a new capacity to love in a, you have a, you have a new capacity to love in a new way because of the Holy Spirit that has come and, pour, and God has poured his love in your hearts. So he's saying a new commandment. It's because right now you have a new capacity to love. It's not just something that you comply to or something that you externally observe or you're not just duty-bound, but you're being given the grace, the ability, and the Holy Spirit to enable you to love. That's why he's saying a new commandment when it's coming from Jesus. That's what he's reminding them. The Bible is full of this reminder. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Why should we love one another? Because it is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. That anyone who's born of God loves. And it goes on to say, Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another, and by this, people will know that you're my disciples if you, have, if you have love for one another. People will not know that we're his disciples by, you know, just our, our theology or how we sing. It's by our love. I remember in high school, I got saved when I think I was going to do my A-levels. I remember the first thing that I, when, when I got saved, I remember going to this, Christians who used to gather. Uh, they used to gather in one of the classrooms or in the field and they'll pray together. And I mean, I went because they invited me. They heard, oh, TC is now a Christian. And they invited me over. I was just like, nah, these guys are too cold. <laughs> They're the cold personalities because I remember them. I remember the girls you used to go. You could tell this girl belonged. You know those girls in CU? who wear a dress that goes up to the floor. You can't even see their feet. When they're walking, they look like they're floating. 
I was like, guys, you never shared. For the whole four years I was here, no one ever said hi. No one came to share the love of Jesus with me. You guys were just not pleasant. You were, you know, always have that stank lemon spirit face. (laughs) That's not exhibiting love. But the very essence of who God is, God is love. Right? It says whoever is born of God. But it says we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. If you want to know that your heart is being regenerated and being conformed and the Holy Spirit is working, one of the indicators is love. This is how you know. Look at the status that is being given. That is an indicator that you're actually saved. It says this is how you know. Uh, that you've passed from death to life. And then 3 verse 10, 1 John chapter 3 uh, verse 10 says, by this is evident that who are the, those who are the children of uh, God uh, will love, but him who does not love his brother does not belong to God. He's talking about hatred. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 says, anyone uh, who does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 2 verse 9 to uh, 10 says, Whoever says he's the light and hates his brother is still in darkness, but whoever loves his brother uh, abides in light. Love one another. Of course, there are practical expressions of this love. But we need to remind each other as people are, as we, and all those things are happening, that God has called us to love to love one another, to love the lost like God does. We've got to love the things that God loves as a church. We cannot be a church that doesn't think about the lost. There's some, one, I think, one missionary who said, a church that is not involved in missions is a mission field itself. A church that does not go out on mission and is aware about the lost, we've got to love. The Bible commands us, Matthew 5, to love our enemies. We should love our enemies more than, our, you know, more than they love each other. Because that's the love of God. We see that uh, even with the, with, the, with the story of the prodigal son and many, and many instances where God is showing his love to people who are turning their backs on him. So love one another. The first category is under love. But the second category is under unity of the one anotherings that we need to do. Unity. It says be at peace with one another, Mark chapter 9. Be at peace. It's a command uh, uh, from God. We, we, cannot, we cannot as believers. It's been, it's been unfortunate, and, and, I'll, and I'll refer back to this, it's been unfortunate historically uh, and even more recently, the election uh, result in America and how it polarized Christians of different political preferences. And it's not unique to America. It happens here, right here in Kenya around election time where just our political preferences and affiliations begin to cause tensions and we lose peace. 
amongst each other as believers. We have to cultivate virtue because I feel like what has happened recently, I think people have, a lot more Christians have spent time chasing issues more than cultivating virtue. So they're ill-prepared for the moment where that moment needed virtue, right? <laughs> to say, no, this is, what, this is what the Lord says. How do we live with people that we disagree with? How do we live with people who they don't have a conscience, their conscience is not impacted by the same thing that impacts our own conscience? I'm learning. I have many areas like that, but I'm like, Lord, how do I, because the one anothering, the second category after love is unity among believers. It says, do not grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Accept one another. Listen, we cannot, as, as, as Christians, function like a gated community. People in Nairobi love to live in gated communities. Why do we love to live in gated communities, right? There's many gated communities, a few coming up in Karen. Right? Why do we love a gated community and a good neighborhood? One, it's not just the house, but you're also buying the neighbor. <laughs> right? It's like, they're not going to rob me. They ain't going to rob me. That's one of the reasons why we love gated communities. It's safe. Everyone who's next, I can leave my things outside in this place, in this neighborhood. Right? It's always that thing when you go to a place where people just leave everything lying around. You're just like, yo. Like when I go to Rwanda, I have friends in Rwanda who come and pick me up at the airport. They don't lock the doors of their cars. I'm like, yeah, it must be nice. <laughs> this is not Nairobi. <laughs> so we want to live in gated communities where, you know, it's, it's a certain, certain people who make the cut. If you can afford to live here, it means you can afford a lot of things for yourself, right? And we want to do that with Christian communities that we want to put entry requirements before you're accepted. But people in the kingdom of God and in the church and in community, people don't... Changing is not a requirement to be accepted. It's a result of being accepted. <laughs> That's where the difference is with, with how we do community. So it calls for unity. It says, share in the Lord's table as we dramatize that day when the Lord will come and we sit around. It says, don't backbite. Don't consume, uh, don't consume one another. I added, I'm like, it's, when you read the tone of that passage, you're almost like, seriously, stop doing this with one another. And Ephesians talks about, uh, move on to the next slide. Uh, so it says, don't uh, boastfully challenge, don't envy one another, tolerate one another, be kind, bear, forgive one another, seek good, don't complain against one another, confess sins uh, to one another. But Ephesians here talks about that unity. Just describe that one another and that needs to be part of, of the Christian community. So, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as we are called, to the one hope that belongs to you, uh, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Three things that are there, 
that our unity in our, in our community as Christians, one, it's been achieved by Jesus. On this last verse, because we have one Lord, we have one faith, we have one baptism, one God, and one Father of all. There is no separate Jesus for Kenyans, for Asians, for Americans, for the Brits, and for there's no different kind of Jesus. It's the same one. It's the same dad. So anyone, even a Christian who's in Russia right now or in Iraq or in Baghdad, in Somalia, wherever they are, they are your brother and your sister. Because we're all in one baptism, we're all in one faith, and we're all in one hope. As long as they call on to the Jesus of the Bible, that unity has been attained for us already. That's one. But secondly, that unity is bestowed on us by the Holy Spirit. He says, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is attained for us by the Son when he went to the cross and put us into one hope, one faith, one baptism, and one heaven. But secondly, it's bestowed on us by the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that in this season, God bestows on us the spirit of unity. But thirdly, this unity is attained and achieved by Christ, bestowed on us by the Holy Spirit, but it's maintained by you and I. Because <laughs> it says here, Maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit. Maintain. Jesus has attained it. The Holy Spirit bestows it on us. But you and I have a duty to actually do something about it. That's the unity that we've been given. We are a church. And this, uni this, this, this thing is built you know, there are people where we, we, we want to consume community. There are people who come to church like, I came to this church to find community. Or I found community ready-made. Community is built, and unity is built. One of my favorite statements is that we are, uh, it's by, uh, by, it's called Ryan Fullerton from uh, Emmanuel Church in Louisville. I identify with that as a goal of the church. He says, Every church is building a community from all cultures where Christ is king. We're building a community from every culture, but where Christ is king. Because it is possible to just have a unity that's not ground in that truth. There are people who build, uh, they build a crowd, right? You build a crowd around natural commonalities. And it's possible for you to gather a crowd just around natural commonalities, but that's not a church, right? Church, we, we gather, we build, uh, we build community uh, around the gospel truth. That's what gathers us. It's not primarily, it's not like, you know, shared commonalities, you know, the idiosyncrasies that, you know, and, and the people who do that, like, oh, you know, we're building a church. Thank God, I understand when you are rooted in that community, like, no, we want to build a church for only this kind of people, for only this age set, or for only this age set, or for only... 
a struggle. Struggle when I go to universities here. And then I meet people who, you go to a university, uh, I work with students. So I go to this university, you have this one prayer meeting, it's in Kikuyu, this one is in Kamba, this one is in, but I'm like, you're in Nairobi, bro. <laughs> it's different when you're at home. <laughs> it's different. It's different. But I'm like, you're in university, there's people from everywhere here. Right? And now you're wrapping the gospel around a cultural flag. That's not what the gospel is. We unified around that. But lastly, uh, yeah, I'll mention this one. I had a fourth one, but I'll mention this one, and then we'll mention the next one uh, next time. Next one is servanthood and humility. All the other one another is around this, around servanthood and humility. It says, give preference to one another in honor, Romans 12.10. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Like Jesus did, he did not gather, he did not consider him, the deity, being as something, you know, to, to gloat over, but he emptied off himself, right? Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Wash one another's feet. Think about it, Jesus. I always remind of the story of John the Baptist and Jesus, Right? Listen to what John the Baptist says. He says, the one who's coming, I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. Right? He says, the person who unties his sandals is a slave. So John the Baptist is saying, I don't even make the cut to be a slave for Jesus. I don't make the cut. I don't qualify. There's nothing in me. Yet Jesus comes. He doesn't say, no, 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 I've upgraded you. You can now untie no, he washes the feet of the person who doesn't even qualify to be his slave. That's what, it's, that's what it's, it's talking about, feet washing there. That the people who couldn't make the cut, not to be his friend, to be his slave. Those are the people he turns around and then he washes their feet. That's what we're being called to in our community. Servanthood and humility says, don't be haughty, be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. I, I struggle. Sometimes I, rem I keep asking myself, like, you know, is there a fine line between humility and humiliation? <laughs> right? God needs to deal. I need, I need more humility in my heart. But sometimes we confuse it. Our, our culture doesn't embrace humility. And for us as servants unto one another, we do this one because we want to glorify our, our Father because this is the example that he set uh, for us. If you look at that John chapter 13, the first few verses where he washes his feet, we're following the example and it glorifies him. But two, being servants to one another means we sacrificially seek the highest joy of those that we serve, right? Other thing about us serving each other is that we forgo our rights, right? For the sake of the gospel. We forgo our rights for the sake 
of the gospel. I think our culture teaches us to win for Jesus, right? Like Jesus, oh, I want, I want popularity for the sake of the gospel. But the opposite should be true. I should be willing to get fame for the glory of God. But I should be also willing to lose the fame for the glory of God. We're always thinking, appreciate that, by getting, by conquest, by victory, by things that are, you know, praiseworthy, that things that people applaud. But even things that look, by all, you know, earthly consideration, they look as defeat. It's even on, in as little as our driving on the streets of Nairobi, <laughs> and just a sense of right of way. How, how do we, how do we, that, that humility. We have to forego for the sake of that. We are not preoccupied, we shouldn't be preoccupied with personal visibility and recognition. Remember, like John the Baptist, right, who says, I should decrease so that you increase. I remember the, the person who discipled me, my, my youth pastor in Hatford Baptist Church. Every time a preacher stands up to speak, whenever you're preaching on a Sunday, you are the one who's going to clean the sanctuary. <laughs> you clean the sanctuary and the lose. The day you preach. <laughs> so you are, you're supposed to be the first one to get there help with the tea. You're supposed to be the last one to leave, help with the cleaning. And it says, as a preacher, you've got to stay humble. <laughs> says you're the first one to get there, you're the last one to leave, and you clean up. <laughs> Go and clean up the loose. Humility. Right? I want to come in a white suit. I want to drop in like, a, like an angel from above, right? <laughs> I want confetti thrown. <laughs> as I walk in, Prophets, apostles. <laughs> but personal visibility, uh, where we're saying, I decrease, but oh Lord, that you increase. But a servant would anticipate this time uh, of just decrease, and the glory of God is known. This today is just a reminder. It's just a reminder. We started church again in January to say, listen, God has called us to be intentional as community, to be a countercultural community, that when the world sees us, they can only say, this can only be God. I remember last, last year or last previous year when I was talking about gospel-centered community, that the difference between how we do community and how the world does come. Our community is supernatural. Supernatural, not because of just signs and wonders, but supernatural in how deep and wide it goes. <laughs> in that it goes so wide that it welcomes and embraces anyone from everywhere. That's how supernatural it is. It is, it is so wide. But it's so deep in that it goes beyond even our own siblings, the love we have and the commitment that we have towards each other. I'm always, 
joking with my friends and tell me blood is thicker than water. I always say, but the Spirit of God is thicker than blood. Because some of the people who I have known in Christ have done more for me and have been there for me more than my own sibling. How many can relate to that? Right? I'll say, yeah, blood is thicker than water, but the Spirit of God is thicker than blood. Because of what binds us together. God has, has called us for a different kind of community. In the time where there's isolation, there's judgment, there's fear, it's polarized, it's, you know. But the church of God has survived throughout the ages. Like, I think Christians, we panic a lot, right? I remember last time I was talking about the disciples in the boat in the storm. That they were, when they're waking Jesus up, they're also thinking, Jesus, it's not us who are going to sink, but you are also going to sink, right? That's how they were thinking. That Jesus, the way things are, brah, you're going down. <laughs> your fame and your ratings are down. But the church of Jesus Christ has survived persecution. Because right now we're not persecuted, we're inconvenienced. <laughs> we're not being persecuted. It's an inconvenience, right? It's a, it, the church of Jesus Christ has survived. It's, it's, it's a river. It's not a, let's not have a, a pond mentality where we are prisoners of this moment. But we don't think about the river, where it's coming from. Because like, oh, no, post-Christian world. I'm like, nah. Look at the pre-Christian world to think about how the church will do in the post-Christian world. But we've got to do the way they did community in the early church. Where they didn't even, you know, in the early church, they didn't say the church grew. They say the word grew among them. <laughs> and people came because of things. The word grew and numbers were added. It was not the church. It's not some techniques that would do. It's just like the things that God has given us that are eternal, that outlive any generation which is his word, the sacraments that is given, and his people. And today, it's just to emphasize that community is one of those things that God has given to us, but there's a way that us believers should go through it. Would you please stand?